Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with Jesus and to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful to have you here. On today's episode of Unedited, I have the incredible privilege to interview Brother Drew Galloway, who is the youth president in the state of Louisiana. He had so many things to share. There are so many quotable moments in this interview. But before we get into it, I just want to remind you that Unedited Hope and Healing Through the Simple Habit of Bible Reading and Prayer is now available on Pentecostal Publishing House as well as Amazon. And Pentecostal Publishing House is offering 10% off if you use the code unedited. Again, Pentecostal Publishing House, use the code unedited. And now let's get right into this interview with Brother Drew Galloway. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Brother Drew Galloway. He is the youth president in the state of Louisiana. And he was recently at my church, Christian Life Church. This has been probably about maybe six months ago or so. And I had the opportunity just to meet him briefly then. Um, thank you so much for being on the show, Brother thank Galloway. You. Thank so, you so much. It's an honor. So glad to have you here. Um, I asked him to be on the show greatly or largely because of a sermon that he preached um, the morning that he was here. It was called My Hope in God's Impossibility. And when I was typing those notes this morning, I literally teared up. I just cannot even say how much that particular wow. sermon has ministered to me. I've joked that I have it memorized. Um, but truthfully, I really know very little of your story other than what you shared in that sermon. It was just evident that you have a deep love for the word of God. And I was just so curious about your story and about your spiritual disciplines and the story that God has unfolded in your life. Um, can you just share a little bit about your background, your testimony, um, your family? Sure. Oh, number one, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Thank you for trusting me. And thank you for your kind words about the message. My story, I guess, starts uh, when I was 14 years old. It was August of 2005. And for Louisiana people, that date resonates because that was the day that Hurricane Katrina made landfall in mm -hmm. South Louisiana. It's one of the worst natural disasters that our country has ever experienced, certainly the state of Louisiana. But what I didn't realize is during that time period, uh, it would start a journey for me that I would never expect. My neighbors during the storm uh, was a Pentecostal family. Now, I went to school with their son. Uh, we played basketball and stuff together. And so we knew each other, but I didn't know the family. And so due to the severity of the storm, my family was without electricity for several weeks. And so during that storm, just being neighbors, we couldn't go anywhere so many trees had fallen and uh, locked us into our neighborhood that we lived in. So we got well acquainted with them. 
So when the roads finally cleared, they made mention that they were going to be leaving town to head to the campgrounds to just get away until power was restored back to the city. They asked if I would be interested in going. And so my my mom gave me the permission to go. And so I went with them, not really knowing where we were going, only knowing that we were getting out of the city that had been ravaged by the storm because we didn't have electricity. We didn't have food. We were living on MREs donated from the military and bottled water. I mean, it was just a rough time. And so, and then September uh, in Louisiana is pretty hot. And so it was just a brutal, brutal time. And so when I got in the vehicle with their family, I convinced them to allow me to bring my best friend with me at the time. And so we got in their vehicle and we journeyed north from, I live in South Louisiana, not far from the Gulf. So we journeyed north to the central part of the state. And when they told me that we were going to the campgrounds, I thought we were going to like your typical campgrounds where you can go swimming and skiing. What I didn't know is we're headed to the United Pentecostal Church campgrounds in Tioga, Louisiana. And so when we pulled onto the campgrounds, I read the sign, United Pentecostal Church campgrounds. And I, I knew they were different. I didn't know at the time. I mean, I knew they dressed different. I knew, you know, they're very kind people. But then I was like, okay, they're Pentecostal. I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew okay, this is what they were. So during that time, I, I attended an outdoor service there. Uh, I got to go into one of the buildings. They were on the clothing drive for the storm victims. And I got some clothes. And so I, I was there for maybe 10 days or two weeks. And just in that short period, that family and the people on that campground made such an impact on my life. And I went back and they started picking me up for church. They would pick me up every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every Wednesday night, and they would bring me to church. Uh, they paid my way to go to youth camp. Uh, and so it was during that time that that family introduced me to the church. Now, during that time, I never got the Holy Ghost. I never got baptized, but I never missed church. I went faithfully for almost two years. Uh, there was a transition that happened. During that time period, my biological fa father passed away. He was only 40 years old. We were not very close. Uh, I'm named after him. I'm James Andrew Galloway Jr. is actually my full name. So I'm named after him, but we weren't super close. But just uh, the traumatic experience of losing, you know, your father at a young age. And so mm -hmm. that happened during that time. And then there was a transition in the church. Uh, the pastor had left and then the youth pastor had left that I was very close to. And so I found myself at during that time, it was my senior year of high school. Uh, I stopped going to church. I was always very sensitive to the presence of God. I mean, it was always something I would always weep in the altar, but I'd never received the spirit. I was never baptized. I'm not looking back. I'm not real sure why. I just never was. But my freshman year of college, uh, I came home one night. I was late. I got to my apartment and my two best friends lived with me. I moved them to the city that I was living in because I don't want to leave them behind and they get in trouble. And so I moved them with me. We're at the apartment and I go up to my bedroom. It's real late at night. And it's almost as if um, someone turned on like a box fan, like a, like a massive shop fan, so to speak. I could feel literally, I could feel wind blowing in my room. And I knew I was feeling the presence of God. And I began to weep as a freshman in college. I had been to church in several months, maybe years. And I knew that uh, I could feel the presence of God. So I began to weep because I knew that I was away from God. And I made God a promise. I said, God, if somehow you will allow me to get home this summer, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to give my life to you. 
because I, I, could, I knew that that was working for me. That was March of 2010, March, April, and May. I've, I've never experienced anything like it since those three months, March, April, and May of 2010. Every single night when I would come home to my apartment, it was like clockwork. I would go up to my bedroom. I would, I would lay down in the bed, and then, then I would begin to weep. I would begin to sob because I could feel that wind blowing. There were two songs that I remembered during that time period when those youth camps I went to. And so I remember looking up those two songs on YouTube and I would just lay in my bed and weep. And I would just say, God, if you just in your mercy, allow me to make it home this summer. I'm going to give my life to you. It got so strong one night that I went downstairs and my two best friends are sitting there on the sofa and they're wondering why I'm unemotional mess. And I'm like, man, what's wrong with you? It's really late in the night. And I said, man, I, the presence of God is reaching for me. And I have to give my life to him. I can't do this anymore. You know, and they thought it was an emotional thing. But I went home that summer and it was the first week of July. Um, those nightly visitations, I guess is what you would call them. It was one of the most real, tangible experiences I've ever had for three months in a row. But the first week of July, it's like they stopped. And then they had a dream about my family. And I think I may have shared this in the message that morning about my family walking to like the edge of, of almost like a pit. And there was like lava, hot lava at the bottom. And they would look at me and then they would fall. And in that dream, God spoke to me and said, your family's lost. But if you'll serve me, I will reach them through you. Mm -hmm. And I made up my mind when I woke up that morning from that dream, I was weeping. I made up my mind that I was going to give my life to God. And it was obvious that God was reaching for me. And now it was my chance to respond to his mercy that reached out to me. So I went to church that Sunday here at my home church, uh, First Church of Bogalusa, and it was July the 4th, 2010. Uh, it was on a Sunday morning after my pastor, Pastor Houston, got finished preaching. I went up to the altar, and for the first time in my life, I received the Spirit of God. Shortly thereafter, I was baptized in Jesus' name. And I, I look back now to that moment, it seems like it is absolutely I blinked and we're 12 years later, almost 13 years later. This summer will be 13 years. Uh, but I remember in those days, looking this direction, it seemed like things were just going so slow. But that is kind of where my journey started. It all started with a family who was willing to help me escape a storm. And they didn't even know that just their simple act of kindness of allowing a teenage boy that they didn't really know well, their son knew. Uh, to go with their family to the campgrounds. And now it's so cool because as I serve as Louisiana Youth President, I get to go to those same campgrounds 10 times a year. And wow. every time I pull up, I'm reminded I'm only here because a family reached out to me. Wow. And so that campgrounds means so much to me. That family obviously means so much to me. My local church, I've only been a part of one church. I've had one pastor. And so it's been an amazing journey. So that's my story. I guess it's in a few minute uh, recap, but that's kind of where my journey started. That's all amazing. Um, I love how you said they were very kind people. And you said, I'm only here because a family reached out to me. And yes. it didn't even start off as like, I mean, I'm sure they wanted to reach you, but they were just doing tangible um, acts of kindness and, sure. and playing that kindness in your life. And look at the far reaching effects of kindness that you are now impacting people on 
a much broader level than maybe you would have ever thought, but it all started with those seeds of kindness. That's really, really powerful. Um, Like I I think I already mentioned, one of the reasons that I had really asked you was because when I heard you preach, I heard word coming out of you. There's just, sometimes you just hear somebody preach and you're like, I know they have a love for the word of God. They are just soaked with the word of God. Um, It just kind of resonated in my spirit. And I have just been so curious what your daily disciplines have looked like. Like you said, you looked up in 12 years, almost 13 years went by like the blink of an eye. I'm 40, almost 45 next week. And I can tell you that's how all of life is. Um, (laughs) I think we're going to be 90 and look up and be like, how in the world did we get here? Yes. um, How, what do your daily disciplines look like? What did that journey look like for you? Like from where you started, maybe to where you are now? Um, whatever you're willing to share on that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, growing up, I had an amazing mother. Uh, she had a lot of uphill battles as she wasn't a single mother. There was a few years where she was a single mother and I'm an amazing stepdad. And so my mother did an amazing job caring for me, providing for me. But one thing that was never really a part of our life was church or or the Bible or anything. Uh, and, I, and I don't even know that it was intentional. It just wasn't. I think before I really started attending the church I attend now, I went to church a handful of times, like on an Easter or Christmas play. And so when I received the Holy Ghost in July of 2010, what I know I had was I had an amazing transformational experience. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have a knowledge of the Bible, but I knew I had something that no one could take away from me. And that was uh, a testimony of what God had done for me, because I had tried other things and Nothing had worked. And so I knew I had a tangible experience and a testimony. And those are powerful. Yeah. And I I knew that no one could strip that away from me. But what I decided early on is, like, I wanted to give this experience some validity because I wanted other people to experience it. And so I can't simply base it on, well, it worked for me. It's amazing. And so I began to study the Bible. I went, and I'll just to be transparent, when I first started reading the Bible, uh, I was like, it was just overwhelming. Yeah, it, there's just so much in it. I didn't necessarily understand the, the King James language. And so what I started doing is I got a King James Bible and I got more of a modern translation. And I would just I, in college after classes, I would go to my apartment. I've done my homework and I would sit there for hours and I would just I would read the King James and I read the New Living Translation. And I filled up notebooks, just writing things down. I started doing topical studies. I'm more of a topical preacher now as opposed to a narrative preacher. I have done narrative studies, but typically it's topical. And so when I approached my pastor uh, about feeling called to preach, that journey started because I started teaching people Bible studies. Mm. And But I knew that I couldn't teach a Bible that I didn't have a relationship with. Oh, and so wow. what I started doing is I committed myself can, to know in the Bible. Can you repeat because that? I, I said that I could not teach a Bible that I didn't have a relationship with. Wow. Um, you know, it was if I knew that the end goal was I wanted to make disciples before I can make a disciple, I have to become a disciple. And I tell our youth group all the time, we become disciples by learning. We make disciples by teaching. But I can't teach a Bible that I don't know. And so I committed myself to studying, reading, no matter what lens that looked like to go to 
that I was going to fall in love with the word of God. And so when I approached my pastor about feeling a call to preach, one of the things that he told me was, is to make sure that my private devotion to prayer and the word of God is what I leaned on. He -hmm. said, you're never going to be greater than your private consecration. And he would always tell me, Drew, when you are trusted, when a pastor or or a district or whoever entrusts you to preach to young people or to their church, make sure you're preaching the word of God. He would always tell me what Paul told Timothy, preach the word. And because what he told me was, is God honors his word. God doesn't necessarily honor your opinion. So don't just get up and give opinions and personal things, but preach the word because Jesus said that he will confirm his word with signs following. And so I made a commitment early on that I was going to get it for myself. I was going to read it, study it. And then if I were ever entrusted to preach, that I would do as Paul told Timothy and I would preach the word because it's the word that has life changing power, not necessarily my opinions or my personal convictions. Mm-hmm. And so I have strived for the last, you know, I've been preaching, I guess, regularly now for seven years or so. And I have strived to really be a Bible-based preacher, just to preach the word of God. And so as far as a daily discipline, you know, um, I learned that that life kind of happens in rhythm. And so there was a day when I wasn't married and I just had to work. And then after work, all my time, I could spend however much time in prayer and reading the Bible and studying and going to all the conferences and immersing myself in preaching. One of the things I did early on is I listened to a lot of preaching and I still love to listen to preaching, but you know, with the rhythms, things changed. When I got married, my responsibilities grew at the church and the district. And now of course I have uh, a young child. So what I've tried to establish is there are, there are non-negotiables in my daily life, you know, no matter what else happens or doesn't happen, I have to, I have to make time to pray and to read the Bible. And what I've done is I have a couple of different things. Number one is I find different ways to, to read the Bible. Like for instance, I have my trusty black Bible that I've had for years. And it's, I mean, it's really marked up and like, this is the Bible that I preach from. I just recently started reading through the Bible in a different translation. So I have, uh, I believe this is the English Standard Version. I got this Bible just to read it from a different translation. But one of the things I loved, I found these on Amazon. It's the New Testament and little bitty, uh, almost like journals. Ooh. It's the ESV. And so every other page is blank. And so like this is the book of Romans, but it's like an individual booklet. And so I'm reading through that right now. And so just trying to mix it up. I love to listen to the Bible. And one of the things that's been life-changing to me, and this is something I'm super passionate about, so forgive me for kind of tearing along on this question. This is okay. This is what I want you to talk about. I'm really passionate about students fall in love with the Word of God. So two years ago, I got up on a Wednesday night, and I asked our youth group, I've been youth pastor next, or two weeks from now, well, I will celebrate 10 years that I've been youth pastor at my own church. Uh, just like two and a half years after I became, after I got saved, I became youth pastor. So I have a merciful God and a very trusting, loving pastor. But two years ago, I asked our youth group, I said, if you have read the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I want you to raise your hand. I waited 
and waited and not one hand went up. And I thought to myself, I, I have failed as a youth pastor. And so I said, okay, I did not say that or ask that question to condemn anyone because I didn't ask that without having a solution to the problem. And so two years ago, for the first time, there's a Bible program on youth called the Bible in six months. I think it's Thomas Road Baptist Church created it. This is the Bible in six months. It takes about 20 minutes a day. And at the end of each day, they have a, so they have a space where you can leave a note. You know, you can comment on what you read that day, what spoke to you. But also, it shows who's read that portion. So there's an accountability that is involved. Our youth group did that challenge. Uh, now, not everybody did it, but there was 20-something of us that completed it because it is a commitment. And I can tell you from that day till now, it has revolutionized our youth group. What we do is we finish it and then we start it right on. Because this is what I told our students. We cannot share a Bible. We do not read. Yes. And I said, if we claim to love the Bible, then we have to read it. I, I, I told them, just like I asked myself, what if there's something in there that I'm missing because I'm not reading it in its entirety? And so I said, and I know time isn't the issue. Because our screen times on our phone tell me that time is not the issue. We have time and we make time for what we want. And mm -hmm. so that journey two years ago, it has revolutionized our youth group. And here was, here was our mission, not just to get through the Bible, but to get the Bible through us. Because mm -hmm. this, is, this, this is how I look at it. It's good to read the Bible. It's good, better, best. It's good to read the Bible. It's better to remember the Bible. It's best to release the Bible. So obviously everybody knows it's good to read it. It's better to remember it. That is, that's why David says, thy word if I hid it in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. That word hide isn't to hide as if to keep away, but it means to treasure. So when you remember it, you remember the word that you may not sin. It keeps you. But when you get to the best part is you release it. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, the Bible says that he spoke to the enemy and said, it is written, but you don't have the authority. I don't have the authority to say it is written if I don't know what is written. Right. But when I do know what is written, I do have the authority to release that to the enemy and declare to him, not my opinion. I'm simply declaring what's already been settled. And what's so amazing to me is that how Jesus handled the adversary is how we too, we can duplicate that process. Mm -hmm. He could have snapped his fingers and made him disappear. He could have summoned the angels to carry him away. But Jesus dealt with the enemy in a very practical way by declaring what had already been settled. It is written. And so you, you release the word and that's when lives are changed. And that's when the enemy has to leave. And the Bible says that the, that the, the enemy left and that angel showed up. Because the spoken word of God is so much power to evict the enemy and invite the supernatural presence of God. That's the power of the word of God. But that's when you release it. But you can't release when you don't remember. And you can't remember what you first don't read. So good, better, best, read, remember, release. And so as we got the Bible through us, I mean, it's just there's a debt now to our students that I've never seen. And so what I started doing, I started challenging uh, youth groups and districts that I've preached in over the last two years 
And there are districts and youth groups right now all over our country that are taking this challenge to read the Bible in six months. And I get testimonies almost on a monthly basis. I was at Because of the Times uh, and a very well-known pastor's wife stopped me and said, you know, my daughter was at this district event that you preach when you challenge the whole district to read the Bible. And she has taken this so serious. And this has revolutionized her life. And this is what she told me. And she's got me and her dad, who's her pastor, doing it with her. And she said, it's bred accountability in us. And we're reading it as a family. And, and this has just been an amazing thing, not just for her, but for me and my husband. And so I want to thank you for challenging students. And, and so I've seen just so many testimonies from simply developing a daily rhythm of just reading the word of God. It's life changing. And so it's going to give you roots. It's what's going to give you strength. Mm-hmm. And it's what we have to base our relationship with God off of. Yes. Okay. Wow. Um, that is, okay. So the question, this is the question I wanted to ask you. Like literally I had your email address because I'm the secretary and I wanted to just type it up and send it to you way back when you were here last fall. And I just didn't have the courage and finally worked up the courage to ask pastor if I could ask you for an interview. But I wanted to ask you about this. Like you became a youth pastor two years after starting coming to church. Now you've been in church 12 years and God has, again, we know it's not just about role or title or position, but God has used your life and is using your life in incredible ways. And you said you would go home and you would read the King James and the new living side by side for hours. That is the answer to my question. That well is what you draw on when you preach and not that it was just those first few years before you were married, but like you said, the word of God produces that, that depth in us and that depth of soul. And I love it. Oh my word. I literally could just reread all these notes, but you said your preaching journey began with teaching Bible studies. I go to a massive Bible study church, as you know, Pastor yes. Hanshorn is yes. and Reagan are both huge on, on Bible studies. Um, and I love this. You said, I could not preach a Bible. I didn't have a relationship with this is, this is the message that I am so passionate about. This is yes. the message because I talked to so many people um, over the years that, first of all, they make up all, ex- all sorts of excuses as to why they don't, but it's because we've, in a sense, just created a religious system where we do, we know how to check Christian boxes mm-hmm. and we've abandoned relationships. I'm going to move to a question about another sermon that you preached. And I don't mean to make this all about your preaching. I actually only have ever heard a couple sermons from you. Um, But I accidentally, somebody had sent me a sermon from Capital Community Church recently. It was about prodigals. It was from Brother Woodward. And I happened to be scrolling through and I saw there was a sermon from you called The Spirit of Mary. And this really ties directly into the last conversation we were just having about daily disciplines. Um, And I'm just going to read a quote. I hope that it doesn't embarrass you to have me read this verbatim, but you just said this. You said two sisters, both in the presence of Jesus, two responses, one sat and one served. God desires servants, but he prefers sitters. Martha tried to impress Jesus with her ministry, but Mary, she just sat in his presence, soaking up every word that came out of his mouth. Martha was focused on ministry. Mary was focused on relationships. God wants your time more than he wants your talents. And sometimes we get conflicted. We confuse what we do with God for what we do for God. Or maybe I had that backward. I could read the whole thing, but can you just expound on that? Can you expound on the spirit of Mary um, serving versus sitting? Sure. 
Absolutely. You're very kind. Uh, it is a little different to hear someone just kind of <laughs> discuss it, but I just think that it's helping people. Where this started is this is a very long journey, but as a youth pastor and as a youth president, and as someone that God has allowed to minister to young people across our country, I started feeling a burden that students realized that no matter what statistics say, that they did not have to backslide. Mm. That they did not have to walk away from God. And there was a there was a season in my life when I was praying fasting, and God spoke to me and said, the key is going to be that they stop living by experiences and start living by relationship. Mm. So many people base their relationship with God on experiences. And I'll just put this in the context of a young person. You have camps and you have youth congress and you have youth rallies and you have youth weeks and you have retreats. And those things are amazing. But if we're not careful, we can rely on those things so much that we're just simply going from experience to experience. Because mm -hmm. here's the thing. Experiences are amazing. But more than having an experience with God, you can have a relationship with God. Yeah. And so we can experience salvation, but then we can have a relationship with the Savior. You can experience a healing, and that's amazing. But what's more amazing than that is that you can have a relationship with the healer. And so what I try to emphasize to students is that there's a day-to-day -day relationship with Jesus Christ that is so amazing, so fulfilling, so beautiful that you don't have to relegate him to a Sunday and a Wednesday, but he wants to, he wants to commune with you just in your bedroom, just in your car, wherever you're at. And so I was on this journey and I'll never forget kind of reading through and I don't even know that I was reading for a message. I was just reading through the story of these two sisters. And it was almost as if that story just kind of lifted from the page. It's kind of how God speaks to me. I just thought about it. Jesus shows up and you have these two sisters, the two different responses. As, as you have already said, Mary just sat there, you know, at almost like, like the word person. She's just sitting there. And I can just visualize her sobbing. She's kind of more the oddball, always at the altar. You know, it doesn't take anything. She's crying. And, and then Martha, she's busy and she's serving. And, and those things are great. But we see that she's upset because she wishes Mary would get up and help her serve. But then Jesus sheds light by saying, you're cumbered about or you're distracted with many things. And then he says, but Mary had chosen the good part that shall not be taken away from her. And he says, that is what's important. Serving and ministry is amazing. If you're a singer, if you're a preacher, if you're a Sunday school teacher, that is amazing. And I thank God for people who are gifted and talented that bless the kingdom of God. But at the end of the day, those things can be taken away. Mm. But what can never be taken away is your relationship with him. And I, as I was journeying through this story, it, it was almost as if I felt God challenged me to say, Drew, I never want you to confuse that what you do for me substitutes what you do with me. I'm honored to preach any, anywhere I'm entrusted. I'm honored to serve as a youth pastor, as a youth president. But I got to know that if all of that were stripped away, Nothing in my life would change. My consecration wouldn't change. My dedication wouldn't change. My lifestyle wouldn't change because I don't do that for that. 
I do what I do for him. And everything stems out of that. I don't pray because I'm a preacher. I don't fast because I'm a preacher. I don't read the Bible because I'm a preacher. I pray because I want to be close to him. I fast because I want to be close to him. And and I study the Bible because I want to know him. That scripture in Philippians when Paul says that I may know him. Sometimes we read that and we think, well, you know, yeah. And that's easy to assume that a sinner could say that. But Paul wrote this 25 years after his conversion. You know, there's been letters already written. The church has already started. This, these are not the words of a man who is unsaved that wants to be saved. These are the words of a man that is saved but not satisfied. And I want to know that I'm at that place, that no matter what I've accomplished, so to speak, in the ministry, that at the end of the day, my heartbeat is I want to know him. And I never want to get so busy serving that I forget the art of sitting. Where I say, Jesus, I'm sitting at your feet. Mm. I'm not asking you for something from your hands. I'm sitting at your feet. Our feet depict the way that we're going, our our direction. The Bible says she sat at his feet and she heard his words. Mm. Sitting at his feet symbolized, God, I want to know where you're going. And your words tell me what you're doing. So many times, if I'm not careful, my prayer time looks like me trying to get something from God. As opposed to me just saying, God, I'm just here to sit at your feet. I don't need anything but you. I'm not asking you to give me anything. I just want to spend time with you. I just want to fellowship with you. Because at the end of the day, I want to know you. And that's where I think, that's where I think everything starts and stops for Christians, is that we must know that it's not enough to know about God. We must truly know God for ourselves. And I think that's the beauty of being a New Testament believer is that the veil is torn Mm -hmm. and the door is open Mm -hmm. that anybody that wants to know Jesus Christ can know him. There, there's nothing stopping us from knowing him, but us. That's why I think it's interesting that the Bible tells us to pray, but not how much to pray. It tells us to fast, but not how much to fast. It tells us to give, but not how much to give. I think those are things that Jesus leaves up to us. We can pray as much as we want. We can fast as much as we want. We can give as much as we want. And I think the people who get to experience the dimensions and the depths are the people that take advantage of the open door that we have mm-hmm. and we can go into his presence. And so that those two sisters kind of encapsulate the journey that I've been on to get students to understand that while I'm thankful you can play the guitar and I'm thankful you can play the drums and I'm thankful you have an amazing voice. My question is, can you set the microphone down? Can you put the guitar down? Can you put the drumsticks away? And on a normal Tuesday afternoon, can you just get along with God and say, today I'm taking the posture of Mary? And I think that if we will learn how to sit, we will be better servants. Because mm. it's one thing for somebody to have an amazing voice, but it's another thing when somebody has an amazing voice and they spend time in the presence of God. And when you read through the book of Acts, these are ordinary people who just spent time with God and God used them in extraordinary words. They said it about Peter and John. They may be ignorant on our but here's what we do know. They've been with Jesus. Yeah. There, was something, there was something that marked those disciples that they weren't very eloquent and they may not have had everything right, but here's what was undeniable. Those two men have spent time with Jesus. And if, if I could have anything said about my life, it wouldn't be that I was a great preacher. It wouldn't be that I was a great youth pastor. But I would want people to know that I don't know him, but I can tell that he's been in the presence of Jesus. 
Mm. And that's what I think Mary just epitomizes is that she was like, everything else can wait when Jesus is there. Yes. I just got to take advantage that he's here and I'm going to sit at his feet. Yes. 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 Um, I just did an episode a couple of weeks ago called they had been with Jesus on that phrase about the disciples. Like that was, they knew, you know, and yes, they had walked with him physically. He was sure. in, them in the form of the Holy Ghost, but you know, just we can have that said about us and it's noticeable on our lives. Sure. We have spent time in the presence of God. Um, and I totally agree. It is our sitting that fuels our serving. Yes. Serving without sitting becomes just duty after a while and not privilege. But when we can serve after we sit, it is the greatest, greatest privilege. Yes. Um, I want to talk about hope uh, very briefly, and and I don't want to take too much time with this. But um, today, this day that we are interviewing on Tuesday, April 18th, is actually the eighth year anniversary of God laying a project on my heart, which is unedited, which is a book. And now this podcast Uh, I was on the streets of Chicago and he laid it on my heart to publish pieces of my journals. And really it was to give hope to the people that I saw on the streets that day. Like I just saw the hopelessness in their eyes. I saw the, um, just kind of the hollow and shallow lives that they led and the sermon that you preached when you were here. And I know I keep referencing your sermons, but it was about hope. And Mm -hmm. was there a story behind that particular sermon or can you just talk about hope, hopelessness in general? Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I mentioned it during that story, but my entire life, even as a young child, I was always very optimistic. I don't really know where it comes from. I don't, I, I mean, I guess it was just something maybe God put in me as a kid that I, even just in the simple things of playing sports, like my team could be, we could be losing about 50 points of basketball. And I was a guy saying like, Hey, we can, we can do this. We can come back. I've always been very hopeful. My wife even teases me at times. So say, you know, you'll find a positive slant in any situation because like my philosophy is like, hey, it's going to be OK. We're going to get through this. And this, I'm a glass half full person. I think the world has enough glass half empty type of people. And so I just chose to be a glass half full. And so my whole entire life, I feel like I've been wired for hope. And so when I journey, started my journey with God, it just it almost seemed kind of innate that I was hopeful. But now I truly had something to be hopeful for and something mm-hmm. to be hopeful about. The Bible says that we can abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's something about the spirit of God. I believe that if you're a spirit filled believer, there's something woven in the spirit that is just hopeful. That mm-hmm. is that that knows that there's light at the end of the tunnel that knows that this is not the end. My story is not going to end like this. And so one of the verses that I have held on to that have been a solid rock in my life. I'll never forget the first time I was reading through the book of Hebrews and I read the scripture that it is impossible for God to lie. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget that moment. It's almost like I took my hands and I fastened myself to that truth. Because remember, my story started with a dream that God promised me he was going to reach my family. And there was a period of time as a young believer that I hadn't seen any evidence of that promise. And I remember one day reading, I wasn't even necessarily looking for an answer, but I just remember reading and I came across that scripture that it is impossible for God to lie. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fasten myself to that truth. 
And as you keep reading, the Bible says that which hope we have as an anchor for our soul. What's that hope? The hope is tied to the reality that God can't lie, which means if he spoke it or if this word says it, I can hold on to it and it can be an anchor. And so that sermon was born out of me holding myself to the promise that, God, you told me you were going to reach my family. And there were moments and some of the most difficult moments for people that have promises is the waiting period between when you receive the promise to when you get the fulfillment of it. Because there are a lot of times like Abraham and Sarah, you have a promise of what God's going to do, but you have no evidence of the promise. And so you, you have to hold on to something to get you through that. And hope to me just epitomizes that in the scripture, just the power of hope. The Bible talks about Abraham who against hope believed in hope. There was something that even when God gave him and Sarah the promise that you're going to have a child and they tried to do things their own way and, and, and they, they felt like they messed it up. He had no reason to believe in hope, but against hope, there was something in him who believed in hope. And I believe that's what carried him through. And there have been so many times that um, I've gotten weary and I've never, ever considered walking away from God because I made God a promise that even if no one in my family ever comes to the knowledge of who he is, I was going to serve him because I knew that what I found was real. But there would be so many times I would be weary for like I'm not making any progress in reaching my family. And I would go back to Hebrews 6 mm-hmm. and I would remind myself. It's impossible for him to lie. And that hope is what's going to be the anchor that is both sure and steadfast. I can stand on it. I can depend on it. And I can hold on to it. So that's kind of the backstory behind that sermon. And of course, now, several years later, I have seen that before that was a sermon, that was a word that I just held on to for myself. I never preached it uh, until a few years ago, but I held on to it. As, hey, God, you promised me. You promised me. And I would remind God about his promises. Mm-hmm. And of course, now I've seen my mother get baptized, my stepfather get baptized, several of my cousins, several of my best friends, both of my sisters. And I've seen family members get the Holy Ghost. And so I have seen the fulfillment of it now. And so I just try to use my life as an encouragement to other people that if God did it for me, he can do it for you. That that Hebrews 6 applies to anybody. It is impossible for God to lie. He can do everything that we read about from Genesis to Revelation. But one thing he can't do is violate his word. He cannot lie. He will not lie. The Bible says that. He will not lie. And so that is what hope means to me. And that's what that verse means to me. Kind of that story of that message. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's so um, incredible. You just... I love how you said you fastened yourself to hope, to truth, to the promises of God. And that is what every single one of us has to learn to do in the face of, like you said, maybe a wait after we have a promise that doesn't seem sure. like it's coming to pass anytime soon or some other impossible situation in our lives. Um, we have to just really bind ourselves to truth. I just read a scripture in Joshua this morning of scripture. I love where he says, not one thing has failed of all the good things yes. the Lord your God has promised you. And it's impossible for him to lie. What would you say? We live in a world where hopelessness abounds. And for Christians, obviously, we know we have hope, even if we're not glass half um, full type of people. And we know we have truth and we know we should hold on to promises. But what would you just say to somebody who's just 
you know, random person on the street facing hopelessness? You know, that's a great question. And obviously our world is, seems to be, does ever grow in hopelessness? I think number one, uh, one thing that I would encourage people to do and encourage myself to do is just to be that glimmer of hope for someone. You know, I, I think it's very practical. I think it's as very simple as just be in the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, just showing the love of Christ. And I think there, there is this power in we as believers, as Christians, as spirit-filled people, that we can be the, the hope that people see. The Bible says Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I believe that just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I believe it was, that people may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. So the, the goal is that people would see us and the light would not shine inward, it would shine upward. Mm -hmm. And so when they see you and they see me, they know it's not really us, it's, it's really him and we point toward him. And so we can, and it's very practical, it's, it's how we treat a waitress at a restaurant, how we treat someone in the checkout line. Let them see the hope that resonates in us. Because in my opinion, hope is something that is contagious and hope is something that uh, it, it can be shared and it can be imparted. And, you know, as a Christian, I think the greatest source of hope is the word of God. The Bible says in Lamentations chapter three, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed for they are made new every morning. I think immersion in the scripture will breed hope. It will birth hope. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, we simply do what Jesus did. And we love people. We reach for people. We're kind to people. Uh, my journey started with a family just giving me hope by being kind to me. Mm. They weren't preaching a sermon to me. They weren't teaching me a Bible study. They were loving somebody who wasn't very lovable. I wasn't always the best teenager. I wasn't always the most well-behaved. But because that family just simply loved me and cared for me, it just gave me hope. And, and, I, and I shared the story. Uh, of course, this is more practical of that teacher in that large city who went to visit that very sick child in the hospital who had been burned and teaching him about mountains and adverbs. And that child that thought, you know, he was going to die. Suddenly, all of a sudden, he started responding to treatment. And his response was they would not send the teacher to teach a dying boy about nouns and adverbs. Just the presence of a teacher coming to teach him a lesson sat in his mind and thought, you know what? Them caring for me enough to send the teacher lets me know I'm going to make it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it seems so redundant. It seems so mundane for us just to be kind and love people. But we never know the message of hope that's portrayed. Mm. You never, you truly never know what someone is going through. And I tell it to our youth group. I tell it to people in our church. You know, it's it's very practical. As my wife and I have a policy. No matter how terrible, or no matter how amazing services at a restaurant, we never base our tip or our generosity off of that. We simply want to be a light. We want to love people. I'm going to be kind to people. They can mess my food up 12 times. At the end of the day, I'm going to be very kind to them. I'm going to love them. Why? Because I want to make an impact and I want them to see hope. You know, there's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so that's just the way that I look at it. You know, I think that's important. And so I, I think it's very simple. Uh oh. Are you there? I am here. I'm looking for yes. Okay. okay. The camera disappeared. So yeah, sorry about that. You're good. 
almost lost hope in the uh, Miami. So <laughs> glass half empty. <laughs> yes, joking. very fast. I, I love everything you just shared. That giving hope to others so, so many times takes a practical, sure, a practical thing that you can do. That it's kindness. That the love of God shines through us. Um, in, in very tangible and often very small ways. It doesn't take a lot. You know, sometimes it's as simple as just a hello or a smile to somebody you pass by versus, you know, looking down at the ground um, as small sure. as that seems. I want to be very respectful of your time and um, thank you for everything that you have shared today. I so appreciate it. You have just thank said you. several things that are incredible and really, again, just the heartbeat of what I'm trying to share with people. In closing, is there anything else that you would like to share, uh, maybe as it relates to our relationship with God or Bible reading and prayer or something else entirely? Sure. There's a scripture. Well, first of all, let me say thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I love the message that you are portraying. You and your husband are amazing people. I was blessed to get to meet you guys last year. And actually, I'll be seeing you guys in just a few short weeks and such an amazing church. So I give honor to you, your husband, Pastor Hanthorn, Nequan, the church. It's amazing. Uh, just kind of a shameless plug, but I really do love y'all's church. But what I would close with, there's a scripture that has become kind of an anthem for me over the last few years. In Matthew chapter nine, the Bible says that Jesus, he lays eyes on the multitude and something happens that is so convicting to me. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to feel compassion. It's another thing to be moved by it. Yeah. And what I believe is the Gospels is simply us seeing how compassion moved Jesus. It moves him to heal the sick. It moves him to love the unlovable. And ultimately it was compassion for the multitudes that moved him to Calvary where he would lay down his life. And so what I've challenged myself and what I would love to challenge everyone who may watch this is let's allow compassion to move us into action. Mm-hmm. Because I don't believe it's an accident that Jesus followed that scripture by saying the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. The issue with the harvest, the issue with souls is not necessarily that there, there's not any souls that are hungry because there were, there were many that were hungry that day. Jesus was moved by that, but he said, here's the shortage. I need laborers. Mm-hmm. I need workers. I need people that will be moved into action to do something. And so what I've tried to do is make sure that I'm allowing the passion to move me to teach Bible studies to love people, to be generous to a stranger, to be kind to a stranger, and, and, and to just be that, that, that hopeful example to people. The, the other thing that, that Jesus said concerning the harvest, he said, I want you to know that say not four months and then come at the harvest. Mm-hmm. The harvest is now. And I think it's imperative that we understand that our moment is now. We have to take advantage of it. God's not waiting on someone else. God has yeah. entrusted us with perhaps the most pivotal period in the church's history. This Mm -hmm. is our moment. I believe we have what it takes. But like the lad who stood there with the five loaves of bread and two fish, we must understand that there's a multitude that's hungry. And if I will put what I have in the hands of Jesus Christ, it doesn't seem like enough, 
-hmm. but God will bless it and God will multiply it. And a lot of people will be fed because one lad was able to land his lunch. And so my life has been, God, I want to give you whatever my loaf of the fish looks like. I want to give that to you. And it's not enough to feed everybody, but it's enough to feed somebody. Mm. And so I'm going to give you what I got. And Jesus can bless it, break it, and then multiply it. That a lot of people's lives are going to be changed. So let's com- let compassion move us. Let's understand that the harvest is now. And let's just be willing to give him what we have. And I believe that all stems for when you spend time in the presence of Jesus Christ, you cannot help but fall in love with people. Yeah. Because the more you know him and the more you're close to him, you start taking on his nature and you love what he loves. And there is nothing, nothing on this planet that Jesus loves more than souls. Mm. That's amazing. Um, my friend Dakota just spoke at our ladies event the other day and talked about how Jesus is a people person. And she used to hide behind quote unquote, I'm not a people person. And yes. she just said, as I grew closer to Jesus, he just revealed to me, if I was going to be like him, if I was going to know him. I would love people because like you yes. said, that's his highest and greatest treasure. And yes. there is that, that translation of love from his heart to our heart. Um, yes. Thank you again so much thank for everything you. that you shared. I'm I'm so so grateful. Um, I believe that what you shared is going to really encourage others to dig deeper into the Word of God, um, to spend more time at His feet, and to let that translate to kindness and love and generosity towards other other humans. So thank yes. you again. We're looking forward to thank seeing you, you um, in a couple of weeks. Yes, I'll see you soon. Thank you for the opportunity. Another huge thank you to Brother Galloway for all that he shared on kindness, on daily disciplines, on bringing hope to the lost and the hurting, on being the hands and feet of Jesus, on challenging students to fall in love with the Bible. I'm so grateful for it. And thank you for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions, you can visit MegUnedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, 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 wonderful Friday.